Hello everyone and welcome to another SACPA session. SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people and Métis nations of Alberta, Region 3. And we pay respect to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationships to the land. SACPA commits to assist reconciliation efforts by raising awareness of the ways past and present injustices can be reconciled. SACPA is very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. Today we're very happy to welcome with us Tad, Tad Mitsuri, who we all our regular SACPA folks know very well from our uh, in-house sessions. Tad, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Tad was born in Japan, did his undergraduate education in theology in Tokyo and his graduate work in Vancouver and Montreal. He taught at the University of Lesotho in Southern, in Southern Africa, worked in international development agencies in Geneva, Switzerland and in Toronto, and was in administrative position within the United Church bureaucracy in Montreal. Tad is now a retired United Church minister. Tad, we welcome you here. And I personally and all the people in line look forward to your presentation. Thank you very much, Anne-Louise. So I can start talking? Yes. And uh, if I leave the text, I have a bad tendency to keep talking. So you have to stop me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyhow, thank you very much for inviting me to speak about this very crucial question about freedom and responsibility. I feel honored that you asked me because I'm no expert. I'm just a retired minister of religion. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a political scientist. So I can speak about the subject only from my experience, not from constitutional or political science point of view. I focus my experience on two, area, two countries, in Japan and South Africa. In Japan, I lived through a transitional period from autocracy to democracy in 1945. And I saw all this process through the eyes of 13-year-old, rebellious, lawless young boy. In Southern Africa, for eight years, I worked and lived with many colleagues and students who were fighting for freedom. My presentation will be therefore mostly anecdotal. To start with, I want to assure you that I am a believer in democracy based on freedom, and freedom is paramount in my belief. As you all know, in 1775, as American revolution was in its early stage, Patrick Henry cried out, Give me liberty or death. 
it's a mantra for all North Americans, including Canadians. It's definitely mine. I do believe in freedom. My friends and students in South Africa died for freedom. You have to remember that. They died for it. Mm. My friends and students, they are not anarchists. They organize themselves to be a force to change the system peacefully. However, we all have to remind ourselves that freedom or in some other expression, liberty is not free lunch. It's not free. You pay the price of that freedom by being responsible. Hmm. You pay the price of freedom by being responsible to your fellow citizens. We have responsibility to honor other people's, other people's freedom. Freedom and responsibility are two sides of a coin. One does not exist without the other. Because no one lives alone. We are in this together. Anarchy and chaos are the enemy of freedom and democracy. And they work against freedom because it threatens other people's freedom. Freedom without responsibility is, as I said, anarchy. Freedom is the sacred rights of all humanity. But anarchy is a desecration of that noble principle. Your freedom does not allow you to kill other person or harm other person. Your freedom does not drive a car without driver's license. Your freedom, even with a driver's license, does not allow you to go through the red light. If you do that, if you ignore these basic rules of responsibility, you are forfeiting, you're forfeiting your freedom. Let me begin with a scene in Japan. When World War II ended in 1945 and Japan was occupied by Allied forces, General Douglas MacArthur, Supreme Commander of Occupied Forces, became a virtual executive president of the Japanese government, above the elected Japanese prime minister. Japanese constitution was drafted in his office on his typewriter. And the end result was signed by him without the consent of parliament. And yet, it's a democracy, which is the basic principle of that constitution. So that MacArthur drafted constitution still 
is Japanese constitution. And we believe in it because it's a good principle, good principle to govern all the governments. However, when I heard this, freedom, democracy, in the, eye, in the ears of a 13-year-old boy, it sounded so wonderful. We are free. We can decide anything we like by majority vote. It was so strange to our ears, those who were used to being dictated by the military. I was in grade seven. And civil servant came to the school one morning and asked all of us to assemble in the school auditorium. And he made a long speech about new principle law of constitution of freedom based on democracy. So I said, oh, we are free, we are free, we can decide anything we like. So long as we have a majority vote. Do you know what I did? I did two things. I still remember. I stopped going to barbershop to cut my hair. Mm -hmm. You see, the dress code for all the schoolboys at the time was like a Nazi Germany. All of us were obliged to wear military-style uniform as a school uniform and were forbidden to cut our sh hair. We had to cut our hair very short, like US Marine Corps recruits in the boot camp. So after the speech, I decided to do something I really hated, to go to the barber shop and cut my hair short. And then school principal called me and I got detention. Even then, I refused to cut my hair. But uh, after some consultation, I'm sure, teachers decided they could not force me to cut my hair short because I'm not harming anybody. All I'm doing is to making me look weird. Another thing I did was I joined a group of uh, other 13-year-old boys and girls in the homeroom class meetings. That's a new thing. We have democracy. We have a homeroom class meetings. And the first item on the Avenger agenda was to pass the motion that said, and I quote, Cheating on the exam should not be punished, <laughs> unquote. Uh, we didn't win that one. Uh, teachers simply ignored it, but we were too cowardly to protest it. You see, what this civil servant from the Ministry of Education forgot to tell us is the fact that Personal freedom had to be exercised within the bound of basic rules to protect common values. Lessons learned from the experience of this 
13-year-old boy. Democracy is not a blanket denial of order. Another lesson I learned was from South Africa. Quite a few years later, I went to Southern Africa, country of Lesotho in 1968. I took up a teaching job at the university in Lesotho, where I found many South Africans, teachers and students who did not like to educate or to be educated by racially segregated educational policy. So some of them were refugees, some of them were there by choice. So I met many students from South Africa and the staff and teachers. For example, I met Desmond Tutu in my same department. He was teaching Old Testament. And I met Steve Biko as a student. He was a student in law. Some of them were, of course, there by choice, but they were all paying the price of choosing to remain free. They were away from home. They had no money. They missed their homes and many, many other conveniences. But biggest cost to them was their life. I became a regional director of uh, what they call University Christian Movement of South Africa in Orange Free State and Lesotho because many of them could not travel freely and I had a foreign passport, Canadian passport, so I had a freedom to travel anywhere I liked. So they chose me to be the regional director. It's a rather odd thing for a foreigner to fight for the uh, racial policy of another country, but still, it's a convenience. And uh, it's an organization, though it carries a name Christian, it's a basically organization fighting apartheid. And it didn't last very long. It lasted only three years. And it became a banned organization when we had to be disbanded. And through this experience, I learned so many very brave young people. And I feel rather cheated because I am a foreigner. I could not go with them everywhere they went. They paid a very heavy price for being involved in this struggle for freedom. Very heavy price. For example, the president of Student Representative Council of the University in Lesotho, Jama Mbeki, simply disappeared one day. We could not find him anywhere. We cannot find him even today. We don't know what, nobody knows what happened to him. 
some people may recognize the name Mbeki. His brother, younger brother, Thabo Mbeki, became a second president of the Republic of South Africa after Nelson Mandela re retired. Steve Biko was another active member in the University Christian Movement. And probably it became a movie, so many people should remember. In 1974, he was beaten to death in the prison in King Williamstown. His uh, treasurer looked after his, the money for the movement. My petlam part, my petlam pet, sorry, my petla Mohabi was found dead in the prison, that same prison where Biko was beaten to death. Another student I became quite close to, Abraham Tiro, escaped into Botswana, a neighboring country in Botswana. But one day he opened the parcel, it was a letter bomb, and he just disappeared. He was blown to bits. Nobody could find any of his body parts in Botswana. Rick Turner was shot to death at the door when he answered the doorbell, simply because he married a person of another race. Griffith Mudenge, the, uh, the uh, lawyer to defend all these students who were arrested, was found dead, his body His body was full of bullet holes. Two Anglican priests who were chaplains in several high schools and, and uh, University Christian Movement received a letter bomb and they were, they did not die, but they were injured. The funny part is John Osmus from New Zealand, he lost his right arm and a male organ. And uh, when I went to visit him, he said, don't worry about me, I'm okay. I'm a celibate monk mm -hmm. and left right-handed, uh, left-handed. So there's no problem. Freedom came to South Africa in 1994, but at what a cost. Freedom did not come cheap. Struggle for freedom was not a picnic, no hot tub, hmm. no freshly fried donuts. It certainly was not the personal gratification of having fun, refusing to go to get the vaccination. They died for all South Africans. They died. They were worried about other South Africans to be free. We have many Canadians like, like that who died for our freedom. In World War II, they were fighting for freedom. And they died for us. We love freedom, and we love it. We enjoy it. We treasure it.
we have to protect it. And in order to protect our freedom, we have to be responsible. We have to take responsibility to defend the same rights for the community from all people around us. Democracy is for all people. If one person is not free, all of us are not free. While we seek personal freedom, we must be aware of our responsibility to others who are equally entitled to the same freedom as I enjoy. When I think of those friends and students, it makes me angry to hear people demanding their own freedom regardless of cost on innocent and law-abiding people. Irresponsible action harms the cause of freedom. Freedom loses credibility if it is applied irresponsibly. Your personal freedom at the cost of other people's right is a gross travesty of the sacred principle. And I thank you. Thank you very much, Tad, for your uh, presentation. And um, you had mentioned to Sakpa that your talk was going to be a little short. So Sakpa has come up with a few questions that they've asked me to ask you. So I will go ahead and ask those questions. And once 12.30 comes around, or 2.30 rather, no, 12.30 comes around, I will go to the questions in the chat. So our first question for you today, um, are you surprised how lightly authority have dealt with the blockades in the context of how police often come down hard, for example, on indigenous people, the homeless, and defenders of environmental protests slash blockades? Absolutely. I was so surprised and disappointed. You know, if uh, they, these things are done by indigenous people, in the streets of Lethbridge, I don't think it's police will take two seconds to come down hard on them, that disband them. I am surprised, and I I don't I don't like a conspiracy theory, but I'm beginning to doubt that our police force needs reorientation about fairness and justice. Human rights is for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, black or white, yellow, brown, rich, poor, foreigners, etc. It should be the same. And I think it's a disgrace for all the police forces in Canada, the way they behaved to control these so-called Freedom Convoy. How do you rate the response of elected municipal councillors, provincial MLAs and federal MPs and those respective leaders? My answer would be the same in regards to the politician as well as to the police. Why did they take such a long time allowing these 
people to enjoy themselves in the hot tub on the street. Couldn't they do it much faster? You know, I come from Japan, but still I worked very closely with Japanese Canadians. And a lot of Japanese Canadians suffered the under the predecessor of current emergency act, war measure act. Mm -hmm. They lost their property, they lost their cars, they lost their fishing boats. They had to move away from home and they could not get their homes back. I could say the same thing. That act was done by the government. And this new emergency act is supposed to have replaced the War Measures Act. I don't think it's replaced it. It's watered it down. Speaking from your own experience of activism, do you see an evolutionary trend in how populations deal with the stress and or perceived unfairness in democratic societies? We think we live in democratic society. We think we know the meaning of freedom. But I think we need to be educated what they really mean. I was very disappointed by the reaction of, I must admit, minority of people against basic common sense measures taken to prevent spread of virus. I was very disappointed and I decided that I think all of us need a re-education in democracy and what it means to have personal freedom under this democracy. I think we are spoiled. We have enjoyed the, 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 the uh, affluent economy far too long and we began to take everything for granted. Uh, in Japanese saying, there's a famous saying that uh, if you don't want to work and have a good food, you sit below the, the altar. In Japanese homes, there's an altar on the ceiling level. And uh, usually there's a nice food did, uh, given to these altars, you know, like a rice mochi and et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't want to work and sit below the altar and expect God to throw the, the food given to God, you're dreaming. Don't do that. You don't get food by sitting on the, below the altar. I think we have this spoiled tendency to sit below the altar of God, expecting God to give us food. <laughs> Democracy is not like that. A lot of people fought for it. And I think we still have to fight for it, being very watchful keeping a watchful eye on the behaviors of politicians, we can be responsible to democracy by voting according to our conscience. The protesters do not appear to be a homogenous group. 
They are truckers, rural, urban folks, but also clearly extremists, alt-right groups, who would appear to have no vested interest in the US and Canadian policies of vaccination requirements for the trucking industry. Arguably, these groups present as anti-democratic and political parties, both north and south of the 49th parallel, have persuaded, have pursued for their votes, encouraged and condoned their words and actions. What is the way forward to repair, heal and protect democracy? What are your thoughts, Todd? I'm not a political scientist, so I really don't know the answer in terms of what to do with these right-wingers. My consolation is they are a tiny minority. First thing we can do, including all the politicians, even in a, a small C conservative uh, parties, is to ignore them. Don't listen to them. They are fringe minorities. I agree. I am sort of a I'm trying very hard to fight for my depression about the way we treat the right-wing fringe. Hmm. I thought it was an American problem, but it's coming into Canada. I really have no answer what to do with it. But the first thing we can do is don't listen to them, ignore them, and uh, uh, tell the politicians who try to appease them you are a disgrace. I'm not going to vote for you next time. Our last question before we move on to the chat uh, questions. Reflecting on your experiences in South Africa, could you comment on restrictions imposed on the black majority under apartheid versus current COVID restrictions in Canada? There is no comparison. It's a, I have no idea how to compare it. You're talking about, if, if I may use a cliche, apples and oranges. There's no comparison. In South Africa, apartheid policies were sort of a intentional, evil intention to impose inferior system on certain group of the population who are not white, not just black, Asians, mixed black people, and etc. etc. There is no comparison. You know, our sort of a, a mandate for vaccination and etc. etc. in terms of uh, fight against COVID-19 is for our benefit for our benefit. If you don't understand it, fine. You should be ready to accept the consequences of being isolated by mandate. You should accept the fact that you are paying the price of refusing to be vaccinated by not being able to go to the restaurants, going to swimming pool. I don't think there is any comparison. There's totally different system of the laws or trend that you're talking about. 
Um, unfortunately, we don't have any questions in the chat yet. So I am going to ask my own question, which I've been uh, ruminating on. The folks that are currently occupying Ottawa, their mandate is very clear. It's public and it's very clear. It says we want the government to resign and we want the Senate, which is an unelected body, to take over. And we're not moving and we're not leaving until that happens. So I've seen a lot of people use the word protest to describe this body of people that are doing this. Would you agree that the word protest is maybe not and that these are maybe not protesters when they have that kind of mandate? It sounds much more like a terrorist. <laughs> I don't know. What What are your thoughts, Knut? Um, Tad? I may hesitate to use the word terrorist, but definitely they are not protesters. They are, how should I say, traitors? No, no. How could I put it? Uh, they're trying to, uh, it's, it's the same crowd as uh, American uh, crowd that attacked the Capitol on the January the 6th. I don't know. I really don't know the appropriate name for those people. Uh, certainly, they're criminals. Hmm. They're going against the law. Hmm. They're ignoring the law. Asking Senate to take over is a constitutional question. How many decades Canada is struggling to change constitution? Never happened. That's Canada. In a way, it's frustrating, but in many ways, I'm glad I live in this country where people are very thoughtful to change the basic laws. So I don't think there's any comparison. And I think they should be treated, the crowd in Ottawa, they should be treated as criminals. Thank you. Um, our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Thank you very much for bringing common sense to this discussion on freedom and responsibilities. Would you agree that bullies are having a heyday in today's political climate? I agree. I agree. And uh, that's where I take a lesson from South African people, South African freedom fighters were not bullied. They paid a heavy price for it. Mm -hmm. I may be too coward to stand up against such a people who are threatening my life. It takes a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. But uh, I call these people bullies and uh, I, I, I basically first step is we should ignore them. Our next question comes from Ian Hurdle. My concern has been 
the seeming lack of politeness and respect to each other as citizens, not wanting to allow a different viewpoint. How can we encourage our society to get back to a more polite level? I agree, but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. That's the short answer. That's a, it's a very, very big question. I don't know the answer. I don't know. I have to do a, a lot of thinking about this. How? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, uh, well, if I may allow to be rather ethnocentric, learn from Koreans. Koreans are the world's most polite people I know. Hmm. I think we are losing civility. People have a tendency to laugh at those people who are too polite. I don't think that's right. Politeness has a place. Politeness helps you to remain civil. Hmm. But uh, it's a big question. I'm sure this answer is not uh, satisfactory, but still. That's what I think about uh, at the moment. Thank you. Um, Henny Mandel, what do you think, Tad? Consider as the major responsibilities we, we as citizens in a democracy wishes for our freedom need to accept, to undertake. I think the grammar is a bit off there. Do you want me to read it again? Please. Yeah. So what do you think, Tad? Consider as the major responsibility we as citizens in a democracy wishes for our freedom need to accept, to undertake. I'm reading it as it's written. (laughs) I am sorry. I don't don't know. Okay. Um, um, Henny, can you rewrite that question, please, for us? Thank you. I will move on to the next question, Laurie Schultz. Have our educational, have our educational institutions missed teaching the lessons of responsibility as well as rights and freedoms? I don't think I can answer that question because I don't know how these things are taught in schools. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know. Okay. Leona Jacobs, um, witness that it was only when the economy was threatened that actions on the occupation and blockades was taken. At the root of neoliberalism is capitalism, which has demonstrably created economic disparity between the 1%, which is in bracket where the wealth is concentrated, and the 99% that are increasingly falling behind. Do you see a relationship between what we are witnessing now and the social disparities? This is my guess, Leona. I I can't... uh, Don't take uh, my answer to be authoritative answer. This is my guess. I think current right-wing fringe comes from those 99% who feel 
uh, not included. But they don't have a, a educated tool to fight for their rights to be equal. And I think it's partly uh, the fault of educational system not to uh, that uh, we are not teaching uh, people who become unfortunate enough to become unemployed, <coughs> homeless. We are not providing with them with a tool to fight for their rights to be equal. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I'm thinking aloud. I think it's partly the problem of poor people who don't know how to fight, how to fight the uh, rich elite. And the rich elite took this opportunity to, to make use of them as a sort of a father for their for their weapon. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not uh, thinking clearly. But anyway, <clears throat> I don't think it's a movement initiated by rich people. I think it's, it's the movement started by frustrated poor people, unemployed homeless, who have no proper tool to fight back. And the uh, rich elite is taking advantage of that shortage, uh, shortcoming of poor, uneducated people who lack the tool to fight back. Does that make, make any sense? <clears throat> okay. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Media plays a big part in this debacle and personal attacks on reporters are commonplace in trying to keep them from reporting fairly. What are your thoughts? Could you repeat that again, please? Yeah. Media plays a big part in this debacle and personal attacks on reporters are commonplace in trying to keep them from reporting fairly. What are your thoughts? Reporters. Do you think uh, yeah. the reporters who are trying to report uh, in the balanced view is under attack? Is that the... Yeah, our personal, personal attacks. <laughs> the personal attacks on reporters are commonplace in trying to keep them from reporting fairly. I didn't know that was happening, but if that is the case, that's despicable. Reporter is reporter is just reporting, even though no reporter is without bias. But it's same thing as that uh, political party's tribalism. If you belong to one political party you are loyal to the political party, whether it's right or wrong. And they, when they see wrong, they deny it 
ignore it. And I think that is a disease of political uh, party politics, tribalism. And uh, if you criticize reporters from that same point of view, no matter what she said, if he or she agrees with me, he's a good reporter. If he or she agree, disagrees with me, he's a bad reporter. That's not a way to evaluate any reporter. And uh, I don't know how to, how to fight that kind of a stupid question, uh, stupid trend. It's a, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't know how to fight that kind of a sort of a unreasonable attack on reporters. Yeah, and on our politicians as well, for that matter. Um, Henny has posted this question up again. Um, what do you think, Tad, consider as the major responsibilities we as citizens in a democracy democracy wishes for our freedom need to accept to undertake huh i don't know whether i'm getting tired or i'm still cannot fathom the question. Uh, Maybe Henning can rephrase that question in another way, please. Thank you. Um, our next question is from Bev Mandel. Thanks, Tad. The Alberta government has changed the, the school curriculum, ignoring educators and researchers' concerns and input. Do you see this as a threat to democracy. Definitely, definitely. I can see it in uh, current uh, uh, faculty association strikes too, because government, UCP government is trying directly into the uh, negotiation process. Mm. It's terrible. But anyway, yes, I agree with uh, Bev. Henning, sorry, I don't understand your question. <laughs> Here he comes. I did not say, what do you think, Tad? My question, examples of responsibilities, please concerning our freedoms. Our responsibility to... Uh, my question, <laughs> colon, examples of responsibilities, please concerning our freedoms. That's what it says. Examples of our responsibility. <clears throat> well, to begin with, listen to others. Respect others' freedom too. Do not cause inconvenience. Do not threaten others. Is that answering, are these answering the question? I'm sorry, Henning, I, I, maybe I, we should talk in German. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, Japanese. A Japanese. Go for it, Henning. You've been... <laughs> <laughs> Japanese coming up, or German for that matter. Both would work. Um, Tad, 
how do you see we saw I, did you see the video of uh that somebody took in coots uh where the police were shaking hands with the protesters and what do you think of that despicable despicable let them try it when they are dismantling indigenous people's barricade before they dismantle the barricade let them shake hands with the leaders of indigenous people hug them and then dismantle them it is despicable it doesn't make sense that shows the lack of sensitivity on the part of police people Laura Schultz is paraphrasing on Henning's question. What are the major responsibilities that Canadians have to undertake or accept in order to maintain freedom and democracy? Count 10 before you decide to take action <laughs> and think twice as long time as before you think about taking action, thinking, you know, we are too impatient. We're too impatient. If you want to take action against anybody or any people, any action, my Japanese polite instinct is respect others and how can I express or do something without hurting that person who may be hurting me? Hmm. I think we are lacking this kind of uh, uh, education in civility. We are too quick to take action or too quick to judge. I may be contradicting myself when I say this, vis-a-vis -vis the uh, uh, attack I, I made on the police for taking too long to decide. I haven't quite worked it out yet. But uh, on our part, what is important is we have to think very carefully what, what I say, what I do means to other people. Thank you for that. That's a yeah, powerful reminder. Bev Mundell, Ted, do you think that our individualistic society is part of the problem of loss of responsibilities to others? I disagree. I love individualism. Mm. I don't think we should invade individual rights. What we need to learn is two strong individuals being able to keep on talking forever without fighting. Mm. We have to learn that way of communicating with somebody whom we disagree. Individual, I think we should keep, we have to. As a, as a young boy who refused to cut my hair, my basis of pleasure living in democracy is individualism. I think 
strong individualism is important. Uh, Bev is a psychologist, so you should know. Person who does not have self-respect is a loser. You have to recover self-respect. And a uh, uh, person with self-respect have a very strong sense of individual rights. So individual should not be watered down. Knut Peterson, the silent majority of people are not being heard from. What will it take to make more people to take action? i.e. a few citizens have taken law into their own hands are met with action by police. When you say few people, you're talking about those people like indigenous people or homeless people who protest? Can I? Well. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the question doesn't clarify that. Oh. Well, <clears throat> I do believe in individual rights to protest, but the protest is not the same thing as violent action. I don't know what uh, Knud is asking. Okay. Our next question is Laurie Schultz. How do we develop empathy? Would practicing the golden rule help? Ultimately, yes. Ultimately, yes. You did do unto others as you would do to yourself, right? Hmm. I think that will help. I think all these uh, so-called protesters should think of the people who cannot sleep because of blaring, honking, at night. Are they aware of those people who are suffering from that? I agree. Uh, Knut, Knut, I'm going to ask Knut's question first because he's posted a follow-up and that will make the, que the first question more sense. So I'm going to ask his question again and then also read his follow-up. And then, okay. I'll, and then I'll come back to you, Bev. Um, the silent majority of people are not being heard from. What will it take to make more people? What will it take to make more people take action? I.e., a few citizens have taken laws in their own hands and are met with action by the police. And then he follows up to say, citizens of Ottawa, for example, blocking truckers. I think those people taking action on their own spontaneously should be more encouraged. That's all I could say. I think we, I think those people are applauded. You know, they're brave people. They're not organized. They act spontaneously. That's a genuine thing. And I think, I don't know how to encourage those people to take more actions like that. Uh, you know, the problem for us is uh, maybe uh, not applicable, but uh, I take, uh, for example, the, the example of uh, low voting population. You know, 
the 30 to 40, at best 50 percent of people vote in the elections. That's despicable. Mm -hmm. You know, in 1994, I was a member of the observer team in South African elections, and that was the first election for a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, the uh, uh, 40 percent of the population never voted in their life. So when the day came, they came to polling station a night before. They make a lineup, a miles and miles along lineup, waited all night for their first exercise of first right to uh, vote. That kind of enthusiasm for democracy is lost in our society. We are so used to it. We are so spoiled and we are so blasé about the whole process. And many people are becoming cynical about it. And uh, I, I don't know how to recover the initial enthusiasm of a democracy. Or like a 13-year-old boy voting to vote down the exam. That is a wrong motion, but we have an enthusiasm. And I think we lost that enthusiasm. And I don't know how to recover that enthusiasm of joy in participating in democracy. Hmm. Baf Mandel's original question, Tad, do you think that our individualistic society is part of the problem of loss of responsibility to others? And then she follows that up with saying, I meant the, the me first aspect of individualism, certainly not one's own self-respect. I don't think individualism is a problem. I don't see me first is a bad thing, you know, because I know me better than anything else. So um, to respect and value what is me, I think it's very important. And I don't think that is a bad thing. And uh, individualism based on that kind of uh, a value we built ourselves from the knowledge of myself. But the trick is all other people are as important me as a, I am me. Mm. They all have very important, valuable, most valuable me. How to interact without invading other people's uh, boundaries. Uh, so it's a question of manners, technique and communication, well, you know, we all learn from our mother to say, please, if you want something. It's nothing that complicated. All the parents, I'm sure good parents, maybe they may not be all good parents. But anyway, I, I, I don't want to go in there. All good parents teach their children good manners. That's a basic sort of a civilized way of communicating. I don't think there's anything wrong with me, me, me individualism. 
so long as me, me, me recognize other people think of themselves as me, me, me. So the question is how to interact without insulting, without harming other person. It's a matter of communication. It's a matter of respect. I think. Did I answer the Bev's question? Mm-hmm. I hope so. Um, we have, Tad, we've run out of time. On behalf of SACPA, thank you very much for uh, attending here. We've got quite a few thank yous in the queue. But before we wrap it up, are you able to give us a take home message, please? Thank you for SACPA. And I'm glad I live in a community where there is SACPA. Hmm. However, like a clergy, as I am, who's struggling with the declining interest of uh, common people in religion, SACPA is suffering the same thing. I'm hearing the same thing from even from uh, region, you know, sort of a Canadian region is having a tough time surviving. Volunteerism is decreasing. A forum where people can exchange their ideas freely is declining. And uh, that's where civility, good manners to respect other people's freedom, all these things are nurtured. And I have no idea how to revive these movements. And uh, I need your help. Maybe I, I don't know how many more years I live, but still, it, I'm struggling with it. So your help will be very much appreciated. And thank you for the opportunity. And I am so sorry that it's your fault, actually, asking me to talk about such a thing, which is totally out of my specialty. Um, well, I disagree. And I think SACPA organization would also disagree with you there. I think your um, wealth of experience gives you more than ample um, reason to talk to us about freedom and responsibility. Um, Laurie Schultz, thank you, Tad. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom. Uh, Knut Peterson, great to have you speak, Tad. Thanks very much for sharing your, your version of common sense with us here today and uh, on behalf of SACPA thank you very much for joining us it's good to see you personally Tad um, and folks join us next week for Dr. Samuel Davala um, the family medicine crisis in Lethbridge what are the causes and implications for the citizens of Lethbridge and next week we will be back on Thursday at noon so we will see you then Thank you, Annalise. Without your help, this could not have happened. You're welcome, Todd. Can I get out?